Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. story is told of a uh, tour guide that was in Israel, and this bus of tourists is traveling around the countryside, and uh, the tour guide is making this point. He says, in the west, where you guys are, all of the shepherds drive their sheep from the rear. That's why we have uh, sheep dogs. They kind of bite at the heels of the sheep, and they keep them in form uh, from behind. But here in Israel, uh, our shepherds lead from the front. And just as they were saying that, they look out the window, and there is a shepherd driving his sheep from the back, right? And so they stop the bus, and they get out, and they ask, and the tour guide goes and asks what exactly is going on. And sure enough, he comes onto the bus with a, a smile, and Stephen Whitmer record, records these words. As he boarded the bus, he had a sheepish grin on his face and announced to his eager listeners, that wasn't the shepherd, that was the butcher. This morning, there's a fine line between the shepherd and the butcher. It's a fine line between those who would use their positions of authority for selfish, self-indulgent purposes. And in contrast, you'll see a good shepherd who leads his sheep from before them, not from behind them. See, here's our big idea this morning. Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life in faithfulness to his father. Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life in faithfulness to his father. We just came out of John chapter 9 and we saw this picture of these selfish shepherds. John 9, Jesus heals a man that was born blind, and this led to some significant controversy between these Pharisees and Jesus over, over whether he was healing on the Sabbath and what, who he really was. And John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41, you'll see it on the screen here in front of me. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not, uh, do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. See, what happens is that John chapter 10 is a reaction to John chapter 9. Go figure, right? It's almost like it was written for a purpose. What we'll see is that John chapter 10 describes this life of the good shepherd, the self-sacrificing Jesus, and how he stands in opposition to the selfish self-indulgent shepherds of Israel. In fact, this will be a historical theme that we'll see uh, played throughout the scriptures. But this morning, we'll see that Jesus is our good shepherd who, in faithfulness to his father, lays down his life for the sheep. We'll see this in three different movements. In verses one through six, Jesus is the rightful shepherd of the sheep. He owns the sheep. He calls them by name. They follow him. He, He is the shepherd. In verses 7 through 18, we'll see that Jesus is the good shepherd. He just doesn't have a right. He also has earned it through his goodness and his mercy, and we'll talk through that. And then in verses 19 through through 21, what Brian finished up with this morning is a divided response amongst the people that hear him. So this morning, I want to just pause, and I want to pray that God speaks to us 
I'm going to ask this morning that all of us kind of put out of our minds anything else that's happening outside of this room, and we tune our ears into the voice of the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would tune our ears to your voice, that you would silence all the other voices outside of this room, all the other things that beckon and call us. Lord, that you would speak directly to your people through your words as illuminated by your Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we're going to see that Jesus is the rightful shepherd of the sheep. Look at verses 1 through 6 of John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. See, Jesus starts off, and he starts by contrasting shepherds and thieves in verses 1 and 2. And Don Carson gives us a little bit of background here uh, in his commentary. He describes that uh, it was an Old Testament pattern, or a pattern at this point in time, that if you were in a village and there were two or three of you that owned sheep, you might build a sheep pen and hire a young man to stand at the gate. And the idea was that that young man would be able to recognize who the owners of the sheep were and let them in to take out their sheep to pasture. Uh, thieves would not come in by the gate. They would come in by the side, right? So there's a legitimate way into the sheep gate, and there's an illegitimate way into the sheep gate. And this is what Jesus is telling us about. Now, Jesus, will he's going to show us these different kinds of things, and he's going to expose it in verses 3 and 4 where the shepherd is known by the sheep. Notice in verse 3 that the gatekeeper opens to Jesus. Jesus is the rightful owner of the sheep, that they belong to him in some substantial sense. Now, it's interesting in in the book of John to note that uh, from this point forward and throughout the book of John, Jesus will talk about and has talked about those the Father has given to him. Uh, John 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And in chapter 17, verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me. See, Jesus is speaking as if these sheep have been entrusted to him. See, Jesus has been given a people by the Father. And when he comes to the sheep pen, that is his world, he has a legitimate claim to all of his sheep. His voice goes out and his sheep respond to his voice. In fact, that's what verses 3 and 4 will tell him or tell us here this morning. The sheep listen to Jesus, right? That's what verses 3 and 4 say. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and he leads them out. He goes before them. The sheep follow him in verse 4. There's a familiarity between the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep trust the shepherd and willingly go where he leads. See, this morning, Jesus' followers know him. They know his voice. They know his tone. They know the things that he loves. They know the things that he hates. His sheep know these things, and they recognize them. It's interesting that Jesus says he calls them by name. 
You know, throughout this book of John, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of nameless people in this, in this book, right? Uh, we saw it way back in John chapter 4. There was a nameless woman at a well. And John chapter 4 later, there was a nameless centurion. There was a nameless paralytic man in John chapter 5. There was a, a nameless boy with bread and fish in John chapter 6. There was a, a nameless man born blind in John chapter 9. But when we get to John chapter 11, and Jesus calls a man out of the grave, he names him. Lazarus, come forth right? Jesus knows his sheep by name. He calls them forth. He calls them out of death into life, as we'll see in John chapter 11. But the shepherd goes before the sheep. Jesus is is one who leads the sheep by going before them, not by driving them from behind, but he leads them. Jesus has marked out the paths of righteousness for us to walk in, as Psalm 23 would lay out, right? He showed us what righteous living looked like. And he went before us, even to the point of death. But verses 5 and 6 stand in contrast to this. The thief is avoided by the sheep. The sheep won't follow these strangers. They, they, in fact, when, when the thief comes and speaks and calls them, they scatter. Now think about this. Uh, the disciples of Jesus themselves are not like the, the high and mighty of society, Right? These are tax collectors and fishermen. One of them is is a zealot, this guy who's like a revolutionary, right? These aren't exactly the the, uh, most powerful people of society. And when they come into the midst of Pharisees, they're categorized as tax collectors and sinners. These men aren't the kinds that are drawn to these religious authorities in Israel, but they are drawn to Jesus. Isn't that notable? They're drawn to follow Jesus, to take up Jesus' way, to follow him and learn from him. But verse 6 tells us that these sheep didn't hear his voice, that these Pharisees specifically didn't hear his voice. Look at what verse 6 says. This figure of speech, this kind of parable that Jesus is giving to them, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. It's like, fulfilling itself. Jesus gives them a parable in verses 1 through 5, and it just kind of goes right over their heads. These Pharisees and the crowds weren't tracking with Jesus. See, this morning as we look at this passage, the intro to this, we recognize that, that poor shepherds plague us as a society. And they always have. If we look back through the pages of Old Testament history, we realize that the Old Testament shows us poor shepherd after poor shepherd. It started off well enough, right? It's notable that Moses and David were shepherds before they became leaders. They, they looked after sheep before they looked after people. But when Saul comes along, Saul's, we first meet Saul when he's looking for two donkeys that his dad lost. It's in contrast to the life of David who's shepherding and laying down his life for the sheep. See, all of this comes to a head in the prophets and passages like Ezekiel 34. uh, Ezekiel 34 shows us the failure of Israel's shepherds. Listen to these words. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they are scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. See, Jesus or God critiques the leaders of Israel because they're not feeding the sheep. In fact, they're kind of living off of their abundance and then they lay them waste to all of the the carnivores around them that want to prey upon these sheep. The Israel shepherds stopped caring for the sheep. Instead, they chose to take advantage of the sheep. They used their position for their own personal gain. Does that sound familiar? See, here in the West, in our churches, we've seen just a melee amongst our churches of poor shepherds, haven't we? Just consider these names for a second. Ted Haggard. Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, Ravi Zacharias. No tribe or denomination is immune from this trend of selfish shepherds. It seems a particular immorality that uses religious means to establish personal gain and benefit. And if we're honest, it's not just the bad versions of the pastoral care that we see. Even faithful pastors are not the same as the good shepherd. Here's the truth. Every pastor is a sheep at heart. Every pastor is a sheep at heart. And I think your three elders would affirm this. I know one of them would. We too are frail and weak. We too sin fall short. We too embrace patterns of confession and repentance because we sin and we do wrong. See, this morning, our human shepherds are woefully inadequate for the task of leading others to health and prosperity. That task remains for the true good shepherd. Let me ask you this. This is a question. Have you ever noticed that, generally speaking, the more prominent that a man or woman becomes in his place of work or his society or wherever it might be, the more likely that their character is to be suspect? Have you ever noticed that? That as they're invited to lead more and more, they become less and less worthy. I don't say that as a pot shot from the sideline. I say that as a recognition that my sinful heart would respond in the same way if I were put in that position. It would seem that our sinful hearts, our sinful disposition are predisposed to take advantage of our situation to benefit ourselves. And that leaves us in a uniquely difficult place, doesn't it? We are prone to having bad shepherds. We need a good shepherd. So Jesus wants to further explain himself. And I wonder if by his grace in these 
next uh, 11 verses, we might have an interaction with the good shepherd that will redefine us. Let's look in verses 7 through 18. I'm going to start and I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus starts off in this section. Jesus is the sheep gate to salvation. Jesus is that entry to the sheep pen. And if you are truly a sheep, you come in and out the door. Now, we might think Jesus is mixing his metaphors. Yes, he is. He's kind of moved on from the metaphor, verses 1 through 5, and now he's drawn a different analogy for himself. He's a little loose in this. But Jesus grabs this metaphor of the sheep door, and he redefines it and expands it. Those who came before him, namely these Pharisees, these other religious leaders that have fallen short, do not have a legitimate claim to lead the sheep, as verse 8 tells us. They are thieves and robbers. Verse 10 tells us that they come to steal and to kill and destroy. And we might stop and say, that sounds really harsh of Jesus. How is Jesus saying this about these other men that are in his hearing? How is he so harsh to these other people? Well, just recognize for a second that they are liars, that they have lied about the person of Jesus, that they have threatened to kill him. So when he says they've come to steal, they come to steal the people of God from God. They lead them off on a strange path, a foreign path. He says that they come to kill. They're literally trying to kill him at this moment, and they're going to destroy the people of God unwittingly. But the good shepherd brings life abundantly in verse 10. Not just eternal life, because Jesus has used that phrase, eternal life, throughout the book of John, but here he uses different phrasing. He says that I have come to give them life and life abundantly, right? He's talking about the fullness of life, not just the length of life. See, some of us are Christian because we want eternal life, and what Jesus is telling us here is there is a fullness of life presently available to us in him that we can access by the grace and mercy of God. It's not just that someday my heart will stop beating, the brain activity will stop, and I will enter into God's presence and live eternally. It's that right now, Jesus beckons us to a fullness of life. Right now, Jesus calls us to more than just a day-in, day-out existence. And so what he says is that in verses 11 through 13, he's going to double down in this, and he's going to redefine himself. Look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, Jesus contrasts himself with this hired hand. The hired hand is that leader who leaves at the first sign of trouble. I'm going to give an analogy I don't know how else to do it. We watched the movie Jurassic Park a little while ago. And you have that greasy lawyer guy that's in the car with the kids. Do you remember this? And he gets scared. 
and he runs off to the bathroom, and that's the first one the T-Rex finds, right? That's a bad analogy, but anyway. And if you haven't seen that movie, don't waste your time. See, hired hands leave when the going gets tough, and when things get difficult and troublesome, they take off. Jesus is not that way. Jesus is one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the self-sacrificing shepherd in verse 11. And what makes him good? What makes Jesus the good shepherd? He lays down his life for the sheep. It's the mark of a good shepherd that he will sacrifice himself to preserve those entrusted to his care. And of course, we know that Jesus soon will be directed by his father to Calvary to lay down his life, to give of himself. Jesus isn't just speaking these meaningless words. He knows what this will lead to in his own life and existence. Finally, Jesus is the good shepherd who does his father's will. Look at verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is known. That's what he says here in verses 14 through 15. First, he's known by his sheep. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus is the good shepherd because of his relationship to the sheep. You and I understand that Jesus knows us. We understand that Jesus knows us, that he loves us. He numbers the hairs of our head. The psalmist reminds us of something that's amazing. He says, who am I, O God, that you are mindful of me? Jesus knows all of us. He doesn't just know the good aspects like our Facebook pages present. He knows all of us. He knows all of the negative things about us. And it's not just that. It's that Jesus says that we know Jesus. In fullness, that that somehow me and my sinful self has been invited to know the fullness of God in Christ. I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. That's an amazing claim from Jesus here this morning. It makes him a truly good shepherd. But not only does Jesus know the sheep, and the sheep know Jesus. Jesus knows the Father, and the Father knows Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus is known by the Father. That's what he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. See, again, Jesus has this special relationship to the Father in heaven. And in this passage, he gives us three different terms to kind of define what that relationship looks like. First, he says that he's known by the Father in verse 15. He knows the Father and is known by the Father. Jesus and the Father had this relationship for all eternity that, that is uh, a fixed on mutuality, that the Father is always kind of spotlighting Jesus and honoring Jesus, whereas Jesus is always submitting to the Father, and this has been going on for eternity and will go on for eternity. In verse 
17, he's loved by the Father. For this reason, the Father loves me, that I lay down my life for the sheep. See, the Father loves because of his self-sacrifice. Not because he earned the Father's love at Calvary, not because he laid down, but because he's always been in this pattern of submission to the Father. And finally, in verse 18, he's charged by the Father. Isn't that what he says? He says in verse 18, this charge I have received from my Father. Notice the Father, or the further Jesus goes into his relationship to the Father, the closer we get to the cross. The further we dig into this relationship between father and son and how it exists, the closer and closer we get to sniffing the, the smell of Calvary, the sacrifice of Jesus. Because Jesus has always been deferring to the father, Calvary makes sense, doesn't it? See, the upshot is this. Jesus knows the sheep. And Jesus knows the father. I have a graphic here in front of us. What he does is he melds these two worlds through one particular action, which is laying down his life. Like this is uh, kind of a diagram. I do confusing diagrams from time to time. So take a look. Oh, back up there, Anthony. You're getting ahead of me, man. Come on. You're good. The father knows the son. Son knows the father. In the same way, the son knows the sheep, and the sheep knows the, the son. But notice here that the father doesn't, or the sheep don't know the father. That, that statement's never made. If we go to the next slide, look at what happens. We have these statements about the father's intimacy with the son. As you see, the father loves the son. The father charges the son. Specifically so that he would lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus stands as this go-between, between heaven and earth, that he's got one hand with his sheep and one hand with the Father, and he's bringing them together in this uh, reconciliation, this, this reunion between God's people and God himself. Jesus is laying down his life to bring them back together, right? And so the question is, what, when he, we say he laid down his life, what do we mean We've been speaking in these kind of vague parables and analogies. What do we mean that Jesus laid down his life so that we could be restored to the Father? See, the truth is that we had sinned against God. Every one of us in this room has violated God's righteous character, his holiness. And as such, the, the Bible tells us that we deserved eternal death, not just physical death when the 75 years that we're supposed to live is up. What we were supposed to face was eternal death apart from God, where we would be standing uh, judgment before God and found unworthy of his presence. See, Genesis 2 told us that if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is, is death. And yet, Jesus, the Lamb of God, bore the punishment for our sin. Just like so many Old Testament sacrifices before, He died in our stead. And now, by Jesus' punishment, our sins are forgiven. And by Jesus' perfect life, we are pronounced righteous so that we can be in God's presence, so that we can have eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ if we believe upon Jesus, our Savior. See, this is how we recognize the good shepherd. 
he brings the sheep into the green pastures and still waters of his Father's grace. He lays down his life so that we shall not want. He himself has walked the valley of the shadow of death that we should not fear evil. And he has anointed our head with the oil of the Holy Spirit and has prepared a table before us so that we would be blessed in his good shepherd son, Jesus Christ. Now here's what's astounding about this passage. Verses 19 through 21 show us a mixed response. Jesus so beautifully articulates who he is and what he's going to do. And in verses 19 through 21, we see this divided response. Look at verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why? Listen to him. And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This divided response. We've seen this throughout the book of John. Men and women who have been uh, present for Jesus' teaching or Jesus' miracles or Jesus' signs or whatever else, they see it and there's this varied response because some know the shepherd and some don't. Some hear his voice and others do not. What do we do with this passage? See, this next week we'll cover chapter 10, verses 22 through the end of the chapter, and it'll have a slightly different emphasis, but it's largely a continuation of this discussion. But this week, we're zeroing in on Jesus, our good shepherd. See, the truth is this morning that Jesus is the only good shepherd. Jesus is the only good shepherd. There's none that can hold a candle to him. He alone can bring us to the green pastures of God's salvation. He alone can invite us to know the Father. He alone knows the Father, and the Father knows him. He alone knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. He's the only place. Acts says it like this. There's no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. Later on, Jesus will say in John 14, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? See, we have this mistaken notion right now that there's kind of this many paths up the mountain to God. You ever hear that analogy, right? Like, oh, you have your way up the mountain, and I have my way up the mountain. And fundamentally, the thing we get wrong is that nobody can climb the mountain, In fact, uh, the psalmist says it, who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. None of us had that. None of us can ascend the hill of God. None of us can find our own way up the mountain. What we needed was we needed a tour guide, a shepherd to throw us on his shoulders and carry us to the top. Only Jesus can get us to this promised place. He's the only good shepherd. Notice how Jesus highlights his uniqueness. He tells us that he is uh, the the door in verse 2, that he entered by the door in verse 2. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. That is, Jesus has unique claim to his sheep. They were given him by the Father. They are his. 
In verses 3 through 4, he's unique in that the sheep actually follow him. The sheep don't follow anybody else. Anybody else who comes to try and break into the sheep gate will scatter the sheep. Jesus' people hear his voice. They recognize his tone and his ways. They know him and and love him according to his uh, character. His loving self-sacrifice, his bold confrontation to those who oppose God's purpose. Jesus' people follow him. Finally, the thing that makes Jesus the unique good shepherd is that he lays down his life. Notice that that's repeated in verses 11 and 15 and 17. Jesus himself lays down his life for the sheep. So the truth is this morning, there has never been nor will there ever be another shepherd for humanity. No one else is sufficient to lead us to the green pastures of God's grace. No one else can know the Father and be known by the Father. No one else can lay down their life and take it up again. And as Jesus describes who he is, all of the Pharisees and rulers who lay claim to God's people look like fools. This morning, this Christian, no human being was ever meant to be your good shepherd. Christian, don't follow a lesser shepherd. Don't be content to follow lesser shepherds than Jesus. There's different kinds of leaders out there, aren't there? There's some leaders who are willingly deceptive of the sheep. Uh, they are willingly self-benefiting from, from the way they lead us. There are shepherds out there who will stand in front of a camera and say, if you give to me, God will bless you. There are shepherds out there who will abuse their time and their privilege as the leader of God's people to their own benefit. There are other kinds of leaders who fall short of the character they aspire to. Right? There may be a lesser degree but they, they try to become something different, but they, they're falling short, right? And these men, like myself, are not worthy of you following. But finally, there's this category of those who would not even claim to be shepherds, but lead us. We download their podcasts, we watch their YouTube videos. They create in us a desire to follow another shepherd. We've become attuned to this trend or that trend. We become locked in on uh, being minimalists or libertarians or whatever else there might be. And it's amazing how these voices become bound up with our identity. It's a common question when you meet somebody new or you're just making small talk. You say, well, what podcasts do you listen to? What shows do you like? We wear their t-shirts, we slap their bumper stickers on our cars, we use their sayings and identify with their way of thinking. And Christian, this morning, if you're more familiar with the words of Joe Rogan or John Piper or whoever else it might be than the words of Jesus, something's wrong. If you spend hours a week listening to these podcasts, You're listening to the voice of a shepherd, but not the good shepherd. 
If your shepherds only serve to stir you up about this issue or that issue, and they're not acting as Jesus' servants. If these shepherds you turn to only exacerbate your anxieties, they're not good. It stands out to me that there is a 24-hour news cycle we tune ourselves in to that 24-hour news cycle, if we're shepherded by that, you and I will be so filled with anxiety and worry, depression. It will rule us. What we have to do is we have to learn to block out the noise and hear the voice of our good shepherd. We have exchanged the abundant life that Jesus describes for a life of issues and anxieties. And our alternative shepherds have led us to brown valleys and poisoned water holes. They have played upon our fears. They ask questions like, what's happening to America? How much is gas going to rise? When is this inflation going to stop? Is my church going liberal? See, here's the truth this morning. Any leader that's worth following is the leader that leads you to the good shepherd, Jesus. Paul's call was that we were to be imitators of him as he imitated Christ. That there was a limitation to the ways in which we were to follow Paul. When Paul stopped following Christ, we were to stop following Paul. If your shepherd is saying, follow me, even though I don't follow Christ, he's not a good shepherd. As Christian this morning, we want to tune ourselves into this idea that there is one good shepherd. And that good shepherd is irreplaceable. He's irreplaceable. There's no one like Christ. Right? He is authentic. He is the one who who is himself in fullness all the time, that when we come through him, we are, are truly his sheep. If we trust in him, we know we're his. We know that he's known by the Father, that the Father has inspected his life and at his baptism said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That Jesus has been known by the Father, inspected by his life, and pronounced righteous by the Father God. Jesus is our self-sacrificing shepherd so that he lays himself down so that he can have his sheep be healthy and well-fed, right? That Jesus himself can be known. To Christian, there's nothing else for you this morning other than knowing the good shepherd. He invites you to know him. He knows you in all of your sinfulness. He knows every aspect of your life, and he invites you now to know him, to commune with him, to, to delight yourself in him. He's the only one that can lead us to this abundant life that he has described. And you and I can know him personally. We can read his words in the scriptures. We can speak to him in prayer. That's what we want to orient our lives around, right? Not the fear and anxiety, but the hope of Jesus. I hope this morning that we might find that. 
by way of confession this morning. I was talking to somebody last week. We were with a, a bunch of pastors, and they were talking about how things were going. And in reflection, I was looking back on the pandemic year, 2020. And you're saying, don't bring this up again. My goodness, can we stop talking about this? But one of the struggles that I realized I had is that we were called to lead a church as elders. And there was nobody who had written about it yet. There was no John Piper article or Nine Marks article that I could read that would tell me what to do about our mask situation or about this or that or any other thing. We were in uncharted territories as far as I knew. And it exposed in me that sometimes I was content not to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, but to follow the voice of some other podcast or article or whatever else it might be. And God, in his grace, had worked out such a circumstance in which I would learn, and am still learning, to do what Jesus had called me to do to apply the scriptures themselves and, and to think through this and to talk through our, with our other elders and, and think through this. And so we might lead this body as God had called us to lead this body, not as someone who in Washington, D.C. pastored or, or someone out in Baltimore or someone in Miami or someone in, in Minnesota or whatever else it might be. God had called me and us to be the shepherds of this congregation, and we needed to tune our ears into the voice of our good shepherd. Perhaps you're in the same boat. You've tuned your ears into the voice of other shepherds. It's time for you to shut out the noise, to listen to the voice of your good shepherd, and to find the joy and abundant life that he calls us to. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we ask now that you would bring us to those green pastures. We ask now that you would shut out the voices of, of those that distract us from you. It's not to say that podcasts or pastors or preachers or anything else are bad, but Father, we want to hear you first and foremost. So Lord, we ask that you would tune us in to your voice. Allow us to know you and trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.